as we get ready to start our broadcast, I just want to thank you for joining us and being willing to study your Bibles, especially in these last last hours of verse history. There's so many other things that can be done, and you're choosing to take the time to to open your Bibles and to study the Bible. And I'm just privileged to be able to study with you and to begin to delve deeply into the Word of God. Now we are in tonight. We're in Daniel chapter five. And so I'm very interested in how this study is going to go. You know, I've, I have plans, but you never know. Sometimes as you make plans, God kind of navigates and instructs and guides us. So I'm interested to see how the study kind of breaks out this evening. So what I want to do before we get started, I do want to pray and just really ask God to be our teacher and our guide as we're opening our Bibles, because of our natural selves, we cannot understand the deep things of God. We can't fathom truly what he's trying to say to us unless we are submitted to his Holy Spirit, submitted to his teaching, submitted to his guidance. So in light of that, let's bow our heads for prayer as we ask God for his Holy Spirit to guide us. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your love and your mercy. I want to thank you, Father, for never giving us what we really deserve, but giving us what your dear son does deserve. And Lord, as we're about to open our Bibles, as we're about to deep, think about the deep things of God, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask for this, knowing that you can do abundantly above whatever we ask or think. And we pray this in Jesus' name claiming the merits of his blood. Amen. Amen. So we are in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. And we've been going through each of the stories in the book of Daniel, and each one of them have been instructive, meaning they have a very pertinent, practical application for the people of God as we're living in these closing hours of earth's history. And because it is so pertinent, we can't really in my mind, I've been studying this for years, and every time I go over it, there's something that resonates deeper with me, even if it's something I know already, or maybe I see it as something again, it's just deeper than what it was before. But each each one of these stories lays out a particular characteristic or characteristics that we should be looking for in ourselves, right? That we should be developing our, in ourselves, but it also gives us a segue into the minds of those who are not ready for the final movements that are taking place. So in the fall of Babylon or in the raising up of a new kingdom, there are these characteristics that are seen in the rise and fall of nations. And so when we look at Daniel 5, we definitely want to look at it from the perspective of how does this apply to me on a practical level? We also want to look at it from the perspective of how does this reflect in the global, the global scheme of things? And then ultimately, the principles that are laid therein have a impact into eternity. So in the plan of salvation, how does this fit in with the plan of salvation and the closing scenes of earth's history, all right? So we're gonna look at all these questions. So let's start again now in Daniel chapter five, and we're going to re begin reading at verse number one. Daniel five and verse one. And one of the reasons why I do enjoy this format is because we can take our time and there are no 
Um, like I don't have to be out at a certain time. You can you can always listen to the recording again and go back and study. But we can take our time and just study the Bible, and that's what we want to do right now. So Daniel five verse one, the Bible says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords, and drank wine before the thousand. So Belshazzar has a great feast. And he's drinking wine before the thousands of people that he has at this particular party. And as he's drinking the wine before the thousands, and the Bible is intentional to lay out there that he's drinking wine. Like that's on purpose. That's not by accident. It's on purpose. And I'm going to show you why in a second. Verse 2 says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines might drink therein. Do you see it again? I'm, again, I'm just highlighting this point in regards to the wine. You see verse 2, it says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, and at the end it says, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. What are they drinking in? They're drinking in golden vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, which is the grandfather of Belshazzar, and you might want to write this down because there are some points historically that you're not going to find in the Bible, but you can go back and look at history and you'll find it. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is actually the grandfather of Belshazzar. His, his father, Nebonidas, I think I'm saying that correctly, is actually the top king in Babylon, and Belshazzar is number two. He's the, the number two. He's like, the you could say he's a crown prince, but they call him a king. So Belshazzar has gotten the vessels that his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar had gotten out of the temple of Jerusalem, and he brings them into a feast and a party, and he's drinking wine. The wine of Babylon is poured into the sacred vessels, and this party has, I'll read it again, kings, princes, wives, which is plural, his wives, and concubines. So clearly, my friends, this party is not a righteous party. Is that fairly clear? There's a uniqueness about this party that we know party, in this sense, the party is not righteous. But in another sense, this party is unique because he calls for this party while Babylon has been completely surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. You follow? And the reason why he is feeling like he can do this is because the walls of Babylon were built super wide and broad. They had food in Babylon that could last for years. They had water in Babylon that would last for, for a long time. So this idea that they were under siege... And their sense of comfort and ease put them in this state where they thought that they could have a party, not just any old party, but a party where they drank wine and decided to bring the sacred vessels and bring it into a profane situation. And whenever the sacred and the profane are brought together, you will ultimately see God's judgments on the scenario, person, nation, uh, or individual, okay? So, 
verse 2 highlights this situation. And then verse 3 says, it says, Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem, and the king and his princess, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of, what's it say, of stone. Now, my friends, I find this language to be very interesting. If you have been paying attention to our studies at all, you would know that in Daniel 2, there was a vision where there was a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet part of iron and part clay. There's a rock cut out with our hands, smites the image at the feet. And I talk to you about why God gives people dreams. But God is also unique in that he sends messages that people can relate to. He can, they can understand. Gold, silver, brass, iron, feet of iron and part clay. These are all elements that make up kingdoms. These are all elements that help build up empires. These are all elements that are part of a currency. These elements, these people are worshiping. They are praising the gods of gold, of silver, brass, iron, wood, stone. These are the gods that they serve. So I'm processing in my mind, right? I'm thinking through the text and I'm saying, okay, these persons are praising a God that is not real while profaning the God that is real. It reminds me of Lucifer, brothers and sisters. Now stay with me. Remember, they praise the gods of what? Gold and of silver, brass, wood, stone. Okay, stay there with me. Go back because Babylon simply reflects the nature of Satan. Go back with me to, I'm going to say Ezekiel, but let's go to, yes, let's go to Ezekiel chapter 28. Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28, and we're looking at verse number, I'm going to say verse 11, okay? Verse 11, pay close attention to the principle that we're laying here. Verse 11 says, moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyre, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, thou sealest up the psalm full of, what's it say? Wisdom and perfect in what? In beauty. So Lucifer is full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now you're saying, how do I come, come to that this is Lucifer? You'll see in a moment. It says, thou has been in Eden, the garden of God. Well, we know that there was no king of Tyre in the garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were there. Okay. So we know that this is referring to Lucifer. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering. Pay attention. The sardis, topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and carbuncle, and, what's it say? Gold. The workmanship of thy taverns and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou was perfect in all thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So what's the problem? 
There's iniquity found in him. He was perfect in all of his ways. There was no imperfection in, in, in him at all. Go back to verse number 12. Notice uh, again, verse 12 says, uh, thou sealest up the sum full of, what's it say? Wisdom, perfect in beauty. Okay, stay with me. So he's perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. Well, how did that happen? Verse 16. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Mm. So he's corrupted by the multitude of the merchandise. Well, what was the merchandise? The diamond. The burl, the onyx, the jasper, all these were his merchandise. This merchandise corrupted him because that's what he was focused on. All right. And I have a whole study on this, the fall of Lucifer, and we're not going to go all the way there. I just want to highlight a principle. The principle is what are they, what is he worshiping? The sardis, which is a stone, right? The jasper, the diamond, the, the, you know, all these are merchandise these elements he's taking his mind off of his creator and he's looking at his the creation and that looking at the creation he puts himself in a state of rebellion are you following so i always ask the question when i'm dealing with this subject we don't necessarily worship stones per se now some some kind of do you know but ultimately brothers and sisters we have different types of idols. Our idol might just be cash money, right? <laughs> our idol might be our own intellect. Our, our idol may be our children or, or our spouse. Our idol may be <laughs> your own imagination. In our study, Babylon praises the gods of gold, of silver, of brass, iron, wood, stone, elements of kingdom building. Lucifer worships himself by uh, uh, looking at what God gave him. The same thing, God raises up kingdoms and he takes them down. These kings think that they are the ones that are in charge. They, by their prowess, have organized and set things up. Now, I wonder, and I'm wondering out loud, and I'm quite sure you are, are thinking with me in this regard, I wonder if the kings of this earth may have a similar issue. I wonder if people that have power and influence believe that it's not God. You know, it was interesting. I should have recorded it. Someone sent it to me in a, in a direct message. And it was the, it was one of the officials, I won't say his name, but one of the officials of one of the states and he literally said, it's not God that's helping deter the present virus. It's us. I thought to myself, I understand what he's saying, right? You know, the, 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 the mitigations and all the operations and everybody's distancing and so forth and so on. Tell me, where does the principle of, of isolating a virus or a disease come from? Where does that principle come from? It comes, listen to this. The principle of isolating disease 
comes from heaven itself. Think about it for a moment. Where was sin first manifested? Well, in Lucifer. What happened to him? He got kicked out of what? Heaven. He was isolated. So then what happens? He's on earth. And where is he quarantined? At a tree. Adam and Eve can't get to the tree. They're told not to go there. This is don't bother with that. The only place Lucifer could tempt them was at the tree. That was it. He was quarantined. So what happened? They broke quarantine, went to the tree, and the infectious disease of sin spread throughout the world because we broke quarantine. This idea of quarantine was not man's idea. Are you hear what I'm saying? So for a man to take to himself or to the intelligence of science as if they are the ones that are solving the problem is blasphemy, my friends. And I, I and, and again, this could have been by mere misstatement, but I, brothers and sisters, we are mere mortals. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above and comes down from the father of lights of whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, brothers and sisters. Wisdom comes from God. Even if you don't acknowledge God, God is still the source of said wisdom. So these persons in this party are giving glory to iron, brass, gold. No, 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 no. It is in this apostasy that God then sends judgment. Watch, watch. Go back to Daniel. Ezekiel, back to Daniel. Um, our main, I need to stay close to Daniel because there's so much I want to cover. So back to Daniel. And right there at verse number four, notice again, I just want to make sure we re-emphasize this. At verse four, it says, they drink wine and praise the gods of gold and of silver of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. But notice they do this after they have drunk the wine. Follow? After they drink the wine, this is when they begin to praise these false gods. I'm going to take you through a little bit of a word study. I prepared a, it's, it's partly prepared. I prepared a document that I want to share with you. Let's see if I can pull it up. It's not this one, it is another one. Let me drop this down and I'll pull it here. So this is a little document that I put together many years ago. Cause I, I, I go through and do word studies from time to time just for my own mental, my own mental sake, right? So I looked at the idea of wine. Then what we're gonna do, we're gonna look at the idea of wine and I'm gonna read a verse and I'm gonna try to pull a principle from the verse again. Um, just work with me here. I, there's quite a few, so I might skip a couple, but we'll start in Genesis 9.21. It says, and he drank of the wine and was drunken. He drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. You guys see that? So the effects of wine is a drunken stupor. If it's a certain amount, right? So if you drink a certain amount of wine, there is a there is a drunkenness that begins to take place in the mind. Or it alters how a person's thinking. So wine can cause a person to be drunk and it distorts behavior. Can we get that from Daniel 921? 
Yes. Okay. Because he's drunken and he's uncovered. That's not his normal behavior. Then we have Genesis 19.32. In Genesis 19.32, it says, Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. Now, who's saying this? These are the children of Lot who have escaped from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They, they know their father in his right mind would never sleep with them. So they offer him wine to get him into a drunken stupor so that they can be impregnated by their own father. You guys follow that? So wine, if drunk to excess, distorts reality. Huh? Everybody follow that? And leads people into behavior that they often are sorry for later on. So remember now, they drink wine and then they praise the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, iron, and wood. So wine will permit for lewd behavior. It alters the state of thinking. It will make you or put you in a situation to do things that you would never do otherwise. Genesis chapter 49, verse 11. Genesis 49 and verse 11. Notice here what the Bible says. Binding his fowl unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. Okay, one more time. Let me read it again. Binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of, what does it say? The blood of grapes. So blood and wine are correlated in this text. You guys see that? So the blood of grapes is wine. That's essentially, they, 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 they are interchangeable words in this sense. Okay. Exodus 29 verse 40. Notice here what the Bible says. It says, and with the one lamb, a tenth deal of flour mingled with the fourth part of an hen of beaten oil and the fourth part of an hen of wine for a, what's it say? Drink offering. So now we see that wine can be used as a drink offering. Well, that's interesting. We have wine that can distort the mental capacity, and then we have wine that is actually used for an offering. And then we have wine that's being correlated with blood. Let's go a little bit further. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 9. The Bible says, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation. Well, why? Lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Again, I've put several texts that kind of talk in the same vein. So wine is not to be used or drunk while ministering in God's tabernacle or in his sanctuary. Now, that's on a very literal sense. OK, so. Now, spiritually, you don't want to do spiritual wine either, right? 
So we're walking through the passages. We're looking at the passages. Most of the texts that we have used or read regarding wine has been in a negative sense. The drinking of it, the consumption of it in a fermented state has been in a negative sense. Numbers chapter six and verse three. Notice what the Bible says. And it's, this is speaking particularly in regards to wine in uh, the Nazarite vow. It says, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink. Neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes nor moist grapes or dried. Again, we're looking at wine, and this says, so my summary of it is, those called by a special vow are not to partake of alcoholic beverages, strong drink, wine, liquor of grapes. Supposed to leave it alone. Deuteronomy 29, verse 6. Again, I'm, I'm, laying, a, I'm laying a principle here. Stay with me. Stay with me. So, Deuteronomy 29, verse 6 says, Ye have not eaten bread, neither have ye drunk wine or strong drink, that ye might know that I am the Lord your God. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Uh, this passage is highlighting something curious to me. And the curious part is, it's saying that you have not drunk this. Why? So that you can know me. In order to know the Lord our God, we must not use strong drink or be drunk with wine. You guys see that? Everybody following so far? We're, I'm laying a foundation. I mean, I can run through this, but I think if you begin to understand the larger picture, then if you can see that when we get to the prophetic applications and the last days and things of that nature, you began to see and understand the importance of why wine, the wine of Babylon is so negative. First Samuel chapter one, verses 14 and 15. It says, and Eli said unto her, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I poured out my soul before the Lord. Count, count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Well, there's two things here. I only put one, but there's two. One of them just came to mind just now. The first thing is wine is used synonymously with the spirit. In this sense, she's moved by the spirit, but she's of a sorrowful spirit. Um, I should have put a lowercase spirit there. She's of a sorrowful spirit, but Eli is seeing this as in a drunken spirit. So you can be in a state, in a spiritual sense, where it appears like you're drunk, but you're really not drunk with literal wine. However, her response says, count not thy handmaid for a daughter of Belial. So in essence, a daughter of Belial would be one that would be drunken. Does that make sense? A daughter of Belial would be a person that is drunken with wine. Interesting. Go a little bit further. I, I, 
and I don't know why I'm harping on this so much, but I, I do remember traveling and people telling me that it's okay to drink alcohol, beverages, even people that go to my church. And I'm thinking, no, it's not safe. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raising. Whosoever is, is deceived but thereby is not wise. Is not wise. Now, I'm going to pass some of these. I'm going to pass some of these. Uh, let me go to, I just read, uh, I just quoted um, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Let me go here. Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7. And I'm going to, we're going to end this. I'm going to stop reading these verses and go from here. It says, Proverbs 31, verses 4 through 7. It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. For, nor for princes strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and do what? And forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to what? Perish and wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget poverty and remember his misery no more. Do you guys see that? Let him drink. If you drink wine, that's not for kings. It's for people that are on their way out. It's for people that are going to perish. It's not for those who are sitting in positions and looking to develop character after God's order. Are you following, my friends? I hope this is making sense as we're building this idea. Now, I'm going to come out of here. I'm going to go back. Open your Bibles. Go back. Go back in your Bibles now. Go back in your Bibles. Daniel 5. So they drank wine. Boom. What does it do? Intoxicates the mind. They drank wine. Boom. What does it do? It causes them to forget God and they begin to worship a false God. This is why in the Bible, hold your, hold your hand in Daniel 5, one, one more place before we just keep going with the story. That's why in Revelation chapter 14 and verse number 8, the Bible says, and there followed another angel in another angel saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Why? That great city. Because she made, because that's a cause, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So Babylon falls. Babylon has an issue. What's the issue? Babylon has forgotten God. It has fornicated. It has linked up with something that it's not supposed to link up to. In a moment, we'll go into the details of that. But for now, I just want you to think with me, my friends, because the reality is God cannot work in a way with us if we are imbibing the wine of Babylon. It will cause us to forget God's law. It will cause us to forget God. It will cause us to stumble and to fall. It is imperative that we leave the wine alone, both physical wine and the spiritual wine of Babylon. Let's go a little bit further. Go back to the story. I'm laying the principle because I could, we could go deeper into this idea of wine, but I'm going to just go a little bit, go, just go a little bit further. Look at verse five. Daniel 5, verse 5, the Bible says, Daniel 5, verse 5, in the same hour came forth 
fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. I want to show you something else. And let's see here. I'm going to come out of that and I'm going to go here. I've been work, working on this, so it's not quite done at the moment. But let me show you this. You guys see verse 6 of Daniel 5 and compare it to Isaiah 45 verse 1. So verse 6 of Daniel 5 says, Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins, what to say, were loosed and his knees smote one against another. Compare that to Isaiah chapter 45 verse 1 where the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him. And watch what it says. And I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two leaved gates and the gates shall not be shut. Now this is referencing directly. This is directly referencing how Babylon would end up being conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And Cyrus would, he, I, uh, based on the story, Cyrus diverted the waters and the waters went down and then the armies were able to go through underneath the gates and take the city of Babylon where there would be no other way for the, for the city to be taken. I, and I want you to see this now. It's 150 years. I can imagine as, as uh, Babylon is falling and as the destruction of Babylon is there and Daniel is in that kingdom and then Darius comes in and Cyrus comes into the kingdom and Daniel literally, because he survives the fall of Babylon, he's, he's in the next, in the next um, transition of powers. I can imagine him going to the king and saying, hey, king, you didn't get here by yourself. Let me take you <laughs> to the book of Isaiah, the scroll of Isaiah. It opens up the scroll of Isaiah and literally points to his name and says, this prophet lived 150 years ago, and here is your name in the book. I can imagine the king with his face all flabbergasted, not realizing that he had been used by God, and God is the one that sets up kings, and he, he's the one that does what? Takes them down. He's the one that sets them up, and he's the one that takes them down. Powerful, brothers and sisters. This is powerful. And I'm, in my mind, I'm looking at it from their perspective. Like, I can see Cyrus is shaking his head like, man, look at here. And that's why in the next chapter, Daniel is right there at the top. He's not just, he's not thrown aside. He's not in a prison somewhere. God moves him in position of influence. Again, you're going to see why this is so important in a moment. All right, go back with me now. Go back with me to Daniel 5. Daniel 5 and verse number... Five. It says, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. 
Then the king's countenance was, countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And the king said, and the king spake, I'm sorry, and said to the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, again, the reason why we say this is the third ruler is because his father, Nebonidas, is number one. He's number two. And whoever's going to be the third ruler is going to be right under him. Okay. All right. Stay, stay with me. Now, I want to point out something else. Oh, there was a thought that came to my mind, and let me share share my screen with you so you can see what I had in my mind. So a thought came to my mind today as I was going over the subject. When he calls the, the astrologers and the kings and the soothsayers and all these different people, and he calls them for a second time, you know, all uh, again, I said, oh, well, we've seen this before, right? So this is a pattern of behavior. And whenever I see patterns in the Bible, I pay attention to them. So... In Daniel 2, everybody remembers Daniel 2. In Daniel 2, what ends up happening? In Daniel 2, in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. He can't remember the dream. So he's like, look, if y'all can't tell me my dream and you can't help me remember what it is, y'all going to be deaded, right? I'm going to kill you. That's what he says. So that's the crisis. The king has a crisis. He can't remember his dream. So what does he do? In verse 2, he calls in his what? His wise men, the king commanded to call in to call the what? Magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. He's calling the great men of his kingdom to help solve his problem. You guys see that? So this is this is the king has a problem. He calls the wise men. This is Daniel two. What happens? They come in and notice their response. There is not a man upon the earth. Daniel two verse ten. There is not a man upon the earth that can shew the king's matter. Therefore, there is no king, lord, or ruler that asks such things at any magician or astrologer or Chaldean. You guys see that? And it's a rare thing that the king requires that there is none other that can show it before thee, before the king, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So clearly, here's, here, let me break it down again. There's a crisis. The king has a dream. Can't remember the dream and he can't interpret the dream. Who does he call? Magicians, astrologers, sorcerers, and Chaldeans. What do they tell them? We can't solve the problem. So what, what happens? There's a Daniel. Daniel 2 verse 19 says, Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay? Verse 30. Again, there's so many more verses, but I'm just highlighting the key parts, right? Verse 30 says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king. And I love this last part. And that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. You guys see that? So again, let me, let me minimize. There's a crisis. There's a summons. There's the failure of these people. And then there's a Daniel. Listen, my friends, this is a pattern. Let's go to Daniel Daniel 4. Look at Daniel 4. Remember Daniel 4? We just did Daniel 4. Uh, I believe it was today is Wednesday. We just did it Monday. I'm sorry, Sunday. We did it Sunday. 
Notice in Daniel, Daniel 4, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts of my, on, upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. So there's a crisis. There's a crisis. You guys see that? There's a crisis in verse 5. In verse 6, so what does he do? Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. You guys see that? So what happens? Who comes in? Who are the wise men of Babylon? Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. And I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. All right. So what's happened? Let me go back to the top. There's a crisis. There's a summons. And there's failure. They don't know the answer. Look. What happens? Verse 27, wherefore, okay, and this is now Daniel. Daniel comes in, he's interpreting the dream, and he tells the king what needs to be done. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. I didn't spell tranquility, right? Let me, you know, I see Microsoft words like, please fix that. All right. There'll be a litany of that tranquility. So here, Daniel comes in, interprets the vision, and then gives him the solution to his problem. Interesting, my friends. Notice the, notice the pattern. Crisis has a dream, can't solve the problem. Summons brings in the wise men. Failure, the wise men don't know the answer. But the answer, turn to God, break off your sins, and it's almost like Isaiah 58 is being demonstrated here, right? Where you, where you take care of uh, James chapter two as well, where you take care of people, you, you treat the poor well, you, you, you extend the mercy of God with your own hands and your mind and your heart. God is instructing the king. Daniel 5, which we just did, but watch. The king's countenance has changed, right? Verse 6. The king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loose and his knees smote one against another. Why? Because he just saw a bloodless hand float through the room. <laughs> Listen, you guys got to put yourselves in these situations. Like you use sanctified imagination. You got to go there. Like I'm there. I'm watching this thing and I'm like, yo, that's scary. I don't want none of that. And I'm literally, they're drinking. They're drinking and they're so stunned by what they're doing. Reality is um sobers that's the word i'm looking for reality this sign sobers the drunkenness of this these party goers are you following reality of the divine one subdues the drunkenness of these party goers so what happens verse 7 the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers the chaldeans the soothsayers and the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon. You guys see that? It's a pattern. Then came in all the wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. There's their failure. So you have the crisis, the summons, the failure. Now watch verse, seven, uh, verse 13 and verse 17 of Daniel 5. Then it was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto unto Daniel, 
Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Jewry? It's almost like the king's trying to put him down. But we'll get to that in a moment. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known unto him the interpretation. You guys see that? So again, the pattern. Crisis, summons, failure, solution. I wonder. I wonder if this pattern will be repeated in the last days of earth's history. I wonder if mankind will run into a crisis, summon world leaders, summon global influences, try to solve the problem, but then fail so badly that at the end of the day, there's only one solution. And if there would be Daniel's present to give the answer to the solution, I, I mean, to the answer to the problem. Are you following the idea? These stories are not just here. They are instructive for us. They're instructive for us. Let's go a little bit further with this. Okay, let me come out of there. Let me stop sharing. Let's go back to our Bibles. I mean, we're already in our Bible. I just saw on the screen sharing, but let's go back to Daniel 5. I hope you see the pattern. So like grandfather, like grandson, they are doing the same thing. They're following the same pattern. However, for this young man, he does not have the same time frame to make the right choices because he should have learned from his father. You'll see that here. Watch this. Verse number eight. It says, then, then came in all the, the kings, then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known the kings the interpretation thereof. Then was the king Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his words were, and his lords were astonished. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. Now, this is not his wives. This, this queen is his mother, all right? So his mother is, is one of the queens, and she comes in into the house, and she begins to give him some wisdom and counsel. And it says, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man. Come on now. I, I pray one day that I would be so faithful that if there is such a problem that someone can say there is a man, and they can point in my direction. But that can only happen with faithfulness to God. I pray that that would be the same for you, right? That when they see a crisis, they say there is a woman, there is a man, there is a boy, there is a girl that have been faithful to God. And they more than likely have the answer to our problem. I pray, brothers and sisters, that becomes a reality for us. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. We talked about that. They, that means he was full of the Holy Ghost. They didn't know what to call it. They just said the Holy Gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding, again, characteristics of the Holy Spirit, like unto the wisdom of the gods was found in him, whom the king, Nebuchadnezzar thy father, the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. So he's above them. Come on now. Verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting dreams, and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts, was found in the same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now, 
let Daniel be called. Come on. And he will show the interpretation. Now, my friends, I want you to notice something. In verse, when the king comes in, when the queen comes in, verse 10, she doesn't name Daniel. In verse 11, she begins to describe Daniel, but she doesn't name Daniel. In verse 12, she begins, she's still describing Daniel. It's not till the end, after she's given this whole list of descriptions, she names the name. Are you hearing what I'm saying? She's like, yo, this guy did this. He did this. He done this. He did this. He did this. He did this. His name is Daniel. Now, listen, what's in the name? See, Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. Mm, mm, mm. The name itself is a rebuke to the leadership. Are you hearing that? Because humanity believes we got this. But the first, the first angel's message says, fear God. Give glory to him for the hour of his judgment is what is come and worship him that made heaven and earth, the seas and the fountains of waters. Worship God, not man, not science, not your own intellect, not your family, not your dollar bills. Worship God. Daniel's name is a rebuke to the king himself. God is judge. Mm, mm, mm. It's powerful. It is good news, too, because Oftentimes, when we look at God being judged, for some, this is a fearful thought. But for me, God is a good judge. God's going to correct all things that have been wrong. God in his judgment, my friends, it is gospel personified, not vengefulness declared. Are you following? Like when God, when, when God does judgment in favor of the saints, it is a good thing. If my name comes up in the books of heaven and my name is covered in Jesus' blood and I have applied that blood in my experience, that's a good thing, not a fearful, afraid thing. But the Bible tells us in Isaiah that the sinners in Zion are afraid. Why would anyone be afraid of judgment? Because sin is being held to in the experience of the supposed believer. So here she describes him. Gives a list of all the descriptions. Then she names the name called Daniel. Oh, I wish pray. I pray one day that that becomes a reality for all of us, for we shall stand before kings, brothers and sisters. That's what inspiration tells us. We are going to stand before kings. These stories are instructive. Then it says, look at verse number 13. Then was Daniel brought in before the king and the king spake and said unto Daniel, art thou that Daniel? which are of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king, my father, brought out of Drury. You see you see the little arrogance by this young fellow? The young fellow's a little disrespectful. I have even heard of thee that the spirit of God is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretations, listen now, and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing. So clearly in his statement, he's speaking without faith. You follow? Like if you can read it, but there's no question he can do it. If thou can read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet, scarlet, 
and have a chain of gold about thy neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. You know why he's saying this? Because men's motivation today is largely based on money. The love of money. Now, money ain't bad. Listen, money's necessary to care for the gospel. Money's necessary for these lights to be on, for me to do what I do here. So I'm not mad at money. It's the love of money. And the motivating factor that the, think, the king thinks this guy has is third ruler in Israel. Now, mind you, listen, <laughs> I'm not, a, not in Israel, in Babylon. Think about this. Daniel knows what's about to happen. This offer means nothing. This offer is nothingness to him. So notice what it says. Watch this. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretation. Two things here. I, I, I do want to make sure we get this part. Those who live righteously are not going to be invited to, to the party. Are you following? You're not invited. Like when, they, when they're doing their dirty deeds, it's not something that they're going to be like, yes, you know, you're living holy. You know, you still be my friend. When you live righteously, you automatically juxtapose yourself against the wicked. And when you are in the presence of wickedness and you are living righteously, there's natural hatred. People just hate. People hate just to hate, period. But imagine you're living righteously. They're going to hate. So don't be mad. We're not invited to the party at the start. But when the when the end comes, when the crisis presents itself, they're going to call you to the party. They're going to ask you what's going on. How do we solve this problem? What are we supposed to do? Don't don't be upset when you're not invited to the party. Don't be feeling disrespected when there's there's this thing like when you become a Christian, and you start living right. When you start living right. Your old friends don't really want to hang around as much. You're not doing you're not you're not in the same path. You're not going in the same you're not going in the same direction. You start feeling a little slighted, but don't feel slighted. This is this is obviously, my friends, a reality that your life is taking a, a path that is towards righteousness and your friends are still going in this direction. So hold to your right path. Because if you maintain that good path, then maybe these ones one day will wake up to the reality and say, Hey, maybe I need to. Maybe this is the best way to go. Maybe I need to make a change. Hey, hey, Andre. Hey, hey, don't leave me behind. So make the right choices and you will feel isolated at times. But no, when the time is right, you will be brought to a position of influence. Don't 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 give up now. Maintain. That's the first thing. Second thing is. <laughs> Daniel says, I'm going to tell you the truth, whether you pay me or not. Keep it. I'm going to tell you the truth. Listen, the truth is free. The truth is available for free. It's free to all. And the issue is, do you want it for real? Because when the truth is given and you hear it, but you don't apply it, it becomes a, it becomes a, a galling yoke to you. It becomes something that sits in the back of your mind. So as truth is presented, as we continue to study, righteousness becomes more evident and then my wickedness becomes more evident, and then I have to make a decision. Do I put out the light, or do I let the light transform me? But look, verse 18. And this is the part that always got me as a, young, as, as a younger person, and still now, as I'm getting older, it's still, I'm still young, okay? But for the younger person that may be listening to me right now, pay attention to what Daniel says to this young man that's the second in command of Babylon. 
Verse 18, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. Listen, remember we read in chapter four, Look, go back to chapter four for a moment. I want you to see this. In chapter four, Nebuchadnezzar gives glory to God and he says something that I think we need to remember because I think to a certain extent we forget this. It says in, at verse 37, now, chapter four, verse 37, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to do what he is able to abase wait those who are arrogant he's going to bring low same thing he did with lucifer right lucifer is in heaven he's cast down go in the same chapter chapter 4 look at verse 17 and this is when the the watcher is making a declaration Verse 17 says, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. So tell me something. Who is ruling right now in the kingdom of men on planet Earth? The most high is. God, the Holy One, watch this, and giveth it to whomever he will. What's that mean? God is sovereign. Then it says, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Tell me. Maybe I should look it up. Let's look it up together. Let's, what does that word basis mean again? Let me, let's go here. Let me, let me share my screen. I'm going to share my screen. I think we looked it up uh, yesterday, but I want to make sure you see it. So we're looking at Daniel 4. This is eSword. If you're not familiar with eSword, it's a free software that you can download. We're going to look up the word basis of men. So Daniel 4, that was like verse 17. Yes, there it is. I'm going to switch it to King James Plus, which gives you all the, the concordant stuff. And you see this right here. Verse 17, it says basis. What does that word mean? Low. That word means low. It doesn't mean the greatest of men. I'm curious, my friends, how do you feel about your current, wherever you're listening to in the world? Because I know this, this, this video goes all over, the, all over. I've, I've seen it, and my podcast goes all over the, all, all over the globe. And so you have people that are in positions of power now. And you, you tell me, are these the most righteous people in positions of power? Are they most holy people in positions of power? No, they're not. And guess what? We're not any better. So I, I, I wish we stopped comparing ourselves amongst ourselves, right? We, we are in need of Jesus, all of us at the foot of the cross. But God sets up kings and he puts them down. He's the one that puts the people in power that are in power right now. He said, but why would God do that? Because he's working out the counsel of his own will. He's smarter than us. He is sovereign. I want to make sure that's clear. He is sovereign. And Daniel was making that point clear to this king. 
saying you didn't just come in here. Nebuchadnezzar didn't just raise up in here. God put him in position. Watch. Watch. All right. It says, verse number, let's start at verse 19. And then for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew, and whom he would, he kept alive, and whom he would, he set up, and whom he would, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and took, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from, from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew Till he knew that the most high God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointed over it whosoever he will. God is sovereign. It doesn't mean that those people are righteous in those positions. It doesn't mean that they're holy in those positions. It means that God put them there for a reason. But when they're in that position, if you're a king of the earth and you might be listening to this, if you're a pastor in a church and you're listening to this, if you're a father at a home and you're listening to this, God gives us positions of authority for a reason. Mothers, you have your position for a reason, not because you're holy. Not be Listen, I, I always ask God, God, what are you doing? Why are you making me a father? What am I, what am I going to do with the child? How am I going to raise her right? You see... It's not about how wise we are. It's about how low we put ourselves in the sight of God so that God can put in us what we need to be to our family members, to our friends, to our brothers, to our sisters. It's not about my position and my authority. I'm, I'm father, so I have to, you must do what I say. I'm dad, so you have to do what I say. I'm husband, so you, no, no, no. These titles mean nothing without the demonstration of the spirit of God in humility in these positions. And God here literally is walking through the history to this young man to show him what he should have already learned from his predecessors. And my friends, I, I fear that in the time in which we live presently, that we as a nation, we as a church, we in our homes, have forgotten what has transpired in our past history and our probation and our probationary time is running out. We should have learned from our forefathers and our We're repeating the same mistakes. In fact, we're taking it deeper. We're going worse, my friends. We're not getting better. We're not getting better. And mind you, I'm going to make, I'm going to make a, Listen, let's just let me get let me get to this part. It says in verse verse number 22. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Tell me something. Your parents. You look back at your parents, look at their lives. What is it that you should have learned from their experience that you're repeating right now? Your grandparents. You're, 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 those who have gone, what are you repeating that you should have learned from already? What are you bringing into your home that you should have learned from already? You're repeating the same mistakes. And for him, probation closes faster. 
because he could have learned already. It's not like he had a tabla rasa. He had a, he had he had knowledge. And then God sits his judgment. Now, for a moment, I, I wanna I wanna read something to you. I'm gonna read something to you. See if I can get to it. I'm gonna read this to you. And particularly talking about our time. And I'm gonna read from a book called Testimonies to the Church. It says, the days in which we live are solemn and important. The spirit of God is gradually but surely being withdrawn from the earth. Plagues and judgments are already falling upon the despisers of the grace of God. Now, this sounds very similar to the disposition of those in Babylon, right? Then it says this, the calamities by land and sea. Are there calamities right now by land and sea? Yes. The unsettled state of society. Tell me. Is society unsettled? Yes. The alarms of war. Are there alarms of war right now? Of course. Yes, there is. They are portentous. They forecast. Now, what does forecast mean, my friends? To forecast, that means that, that these plagues, judgments, calamities by land and sea, unsettled state of society, alarms of war are forecasted. So these are already happening, and they're going to tell us something else is going to happen. They forecast what? They forecast approaching events of the greatest magnitude. Mm. The agencies of evil are combining their forces and consolidating. They are strengthening for the last great crisis. Great changes are soon to take place in our world and the final movements will be rapid ones. In that same chapter, this is Testimony by 9, it's 11, page 11, page 12. There's a section in there that talks about the economy and how they're trying to put the economy on the right footing, but they won't be able to do it. I mean, brothers and sisters, if you're paying attention, you know that's happening. However, that's not my focus. I want to read something else to you. I'm, I'm reading this to you because I want you to I want you to understand that when Daniel reads the handwriting on the wall, he knows what the great crisis is. These people that see the handwriting on the wall, they know it's important. They know something supernatural is transpiring, but they can't solve the problem. They are failing in the solution. Are, are you following what I'm saying? So both parties see the same handwriting. One party understands what it means. The other party doesn't understand what it means, but they know it's of great import, but they don't know how important it is. Two parties. One party is calm. One party is not over anxious. One party has peace. The other party is peeing in his pants. One party is, 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 is confused in regards to his history. One party knows clearly the God of heaven and knows exactly his history, his present, and his future. Stay with me. This comes from a book, Prophets and Kings, page 277. The time is at hand when there will be sorrow in the world that no human bomb can heal. The spirit of God is being withdrawn. Disasters by sea and by land follow one another in quick succession. 
how frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes, of destruction by fire and flood, with great loss of life and property. Did not just happen? That did not just happen. Apparently, these calamities are capricious outbreaks of disorganized, unregulated forces of nature, wholly beyond the control of man. But in them all, watch this, brothers and sisters, but in them all, in them what? In them all, God's purpose may be read. Wait, remember, many, many took you farsing. Many, what does that mean? While they're looking at it, they don't know. Only one man knows. Daniel, he reads it. He understands it. Is he afraid? No. Does he understand? Yes. In all of these disasters, in all of these plagues, God's purpose can be read. They are among the agencies by which he seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their, what's it say? Of their danger. Hmm. Danger. Danger of what? The flood? Danger of a pestilence? Danger of a, a tornado? No, my friends. Danger of the loss of their soul. We have people right now more concerned about their paychecks than their souls. You say, but Brother Waller, Brother Waller, Let's not be fanatical, man. We got to take care of our families. Before you can take care of your family, you must take care of your soul. Where is your soul, brothers and sisters? Where are you with God? If you die tonight, I don't care how much money you have in your bank account. If you are not with Jesus, all that does not matter. Your soul. Have you given everything to Jesus? I mean everything. I mean your your sorrow, your pain, your hatred, your secret sin. Have you given him everything, my friends? All these are just working out the counsel of his own will, helping us to seek to understand what is happening. I want to read one more one more thing here, and then I'm going to go try to wrap this up. The restraining spirit of God is even now being withdrawn from the from the world. Hurricanes, storms, tempests, fire and flood, disaster by sea and land follow each other in quick succession. Science seeks to explain all these. The signs thickening around us telling of the near approach of the son of God are attributed to any other than the true cause. Men cannot discern the sentinel angels restraining the four winds that are that shall not blow until the servants of God are sealed. But when God shall bid his angels loose the winds, there shall be such a scene of strife as no pen can picture. Testimonies, volume six. Why am I reading that? I read that. Because you can read it in Matthew chapter 24, you can read it in Luke chapter 21, you can read it in Mark chapter 13, all say the same thing. That these are forecasting. This is not the end. It is forecasting something of greater magnitude. If you were caught off guard now, off guard now, 
Think about what it will be if it was 10 times, 100 times worse. And I'm not talking about your wealth. I'm talking about your spiritual life, brothers and sisters. And in that hour, when Daniel goes in and he declares to the king what this, what this vision means and what this handwriting is about, in that same day, that interpretation didn't do him any good. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When he got that interpretation, what did he do? Watch what he did, my friends, and we're going to end this. After he interprets, thou weighed in the balances and found wanting, God have numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Thou weighed in the balances and found wanting, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar to clothe, Bel they com then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck. And made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Did he not get it? Did he miss it? Was it, was it not clear what he just said? Like, did he not just say, your kingdom is given to the Medes and the Persians? King's like, give him third ruler in the kingdom. Didn't Daniel say, I don't want this? Oh, mercy for us, brothers and sisters. I see Belshazzar and I see me. Hmm? The unconverted component of this story, that's my unconverted component of my life. Clear instruction. Eh, maybe. Well, maybe I'll make a change later. Maybe this is a, no brothers and sisters. Now is the time. Now is the time to yield it all to God. It says in that night, in that night, not another night, not another 10 days. He got the interpretation of a vision. He got the interpretation of prophecy, and it did him no good. Why? Because he wasn't really ready to yield to God's spirit. And this is, this is so true for many. Why study prophecy if you're not going to change your life? Why study prophecy if it's not going to bring you closer to Jesus? Why run around and try to figure out all the stuff that's going on in the world if you're not connected with the most high? Prophecy is designed to bring us close to Jesus. And while there is still time, I implore you, I beg you to seek the face of Jesus while you still have opportunity. You say, Andre, <laughs> don't try to scare me into the kingdom. I, I'm, I agree with you 100%. I agree with you 100%. You should not be scared into the kingdom. However, if there is a Mack truck coming in your direction and I see the truck coming, and I whisper to you, hey, get out the street. There's a Mack truck coming. I whisper it because I don't want to offend you. You know what I'm saying? I don't want your, your sensibilities to be disturbed. I just want to I want to whisper it to you. There's a Mack truck coming. Would that be love? No, brothers and sisters, that's not love. There's a Mack truck coming. And from the top of my lungs, I should scream as loud as I can while I'm running into the street to grab you out of the street. I should be running as hard as I can. Get out the street. Jude says, some save from the fire. Wow, you snatched them out of the fire. There are some you have to whisper to. But there are some you have to raise a voice and say, we don't have much time to play like this. God has provided a means of salvation, and that's love. He's telling you there's a cliff ahead. That's love. He's telling you don't waste your time. That's love. That's love, brothers and sisters. If you don't mind, let's bow our heads together.
Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your grace and mercy. Father, we can clearly see handwriting on the wall right now. Whether it be handwriting that's happening in the world with the virus or the financial issues or the movements of, of government officials or whether it be, Lord, just the stuff that's going on in our house. Help us to recognize our need and truly yield and come to you. You are here with open arms. You have not caused this mess. You have allowed it. So we can learn to hate sin and love righteousness. Help us to make a decision, Father, a final one. One that will solidify us so that when you go through and you are marking your children, that you can write and seal us with your Holy Spirit, that we may live righteously and godly and soberly in this present world. Please, Lord, please help me. Please help my brothers and sisters. We pray this in Jesus' name and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. My friends, thank you so much for joining us this evening. Uh, you've been very kind to be on this on this call with me or this broadcast with me. And I look forward to, to studying with you as the days go by. And the struggle is real, sister. And God is going to keep us. And the struggle is necessary. If you remember our study from Monday, the struggle is necessary so that we will learn to hate sin and love righteousness. So please uh, share this with your friends. Pass it on. Um, uh, it's just, it's just so awesome that God loves us so much to give us these warnings and these instructions. God bless you. You have a wonderful evening. I will see you again on Sabbath or Saturday afternoon, 630. And, uh, in the meantime, please go over the lessons that we've already given. Please download the, the podcast so you can listen on the audio as you're driving along. We have opportunity now to truly prepare to see Jesus in peace and to fall in love with him now. And if you don't love him now, that's okay because you can't be forced to love. But if you spend time with him, he will give you a love that passes all understanding. God bless you again. Maranatha, love you guys.